0: 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Jesus Christ, who... Before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honour and power everlasting, Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the Living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. They that do good, they that be rich, that be, they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, Avoid avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. That's actually a pretty interesting phrase. uh, To avoid science falsely so-called and oppositions of science falsely so-called. Nowhere is this more relevant than today's culture in which we have a lot of things that are called science, but it's false science. And this false science is being used to oppose Scripture. But when you apply true science, it backs Scripture up every time. Timothy is told 2,000 years ago to avoid those oppositions, to not put up with that, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. So some people have bought into this false science and have erred from the faith as a result. It's interesting that that happens, that that the Apostle Paul mentioned that 2,000 years ago, isn't it? Grace be with thee. Amen. Now, 1 Timothy was written to center Timothy's focus on the gospel. Uh, He was being sent to Ephesus. He was going to lead the congregation there at Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul said, listen, at Ephesus, you're going to run into a lot of ideas. You're going to run into a lot of philosophies. You're going to run into a lot of teachings. Turn away from the vain babblings, the false teachings, the endless genealogies, the the minute points of doctrine, the things that distract from the gospel and keep things centered on the gospel. By extension, we learn that we are to center our focus on the gospel. You see, the gospel is who we are. The gospel made us what we are. The gospel is a foundational belief, the, the, the foundation of our faith. It's, it's why we come here. It's why we exist. It's why there is a Christianity That Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross, as promised by Scripture. That he was buried, that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. We live with that knowledge, we live with that confidence that we are the redeemed children of God. And this should affect our values, this should affect our decision makers. And our decisions that we make, it should affect that, that we are redeemed by the gospel. Knowing that we are redeemed by the gospel, knowing that Jesus loved us to the point to go to the cross to redeem us from sin so that we could be with him in his eternal kingdom. This ought to affect not only the decisions that we make, but also should affect the way we interact with people. When you interact with people, you represent the Lord. You represent his gospel. You represent his message to them. You are his ambassador on this earth. And so we learn that when we apply the gospel to our lives and we base the way we interact with people on the gospel, on the gospel, we know that we not only represent the Lord, but we are also delivering a message from the Lord to them, whether we actually witness to them or not. We're representative of the Lord. And as we represent the Lord, we need to realize that God loves people, that the Lord loves them. As mentioned earlier in this series, you will never look into the eyes of someone that the Lord does not love. You will never look into the eyes of someone that Jesus did not die for. God loves the world god loves all people the bible tells us in first timothy that the lord would have all men come to a knowledge of the truth and so if jesus loves the people then we too should love the people the final two chapters of first timothy gives us some instruction on what the gospel centered life looks like chapter 5 what we studied last week that deals with people who are less fortunate than us people who are destitute the widows indeed, if you will, the people that can do nothing for you. How do you interact with somebody who can do nothing for you? How do you treat somebody who can't do anything for you? That was chapter five. Chapter six deals with how we handle wealth and how we handle rich people. And the simple message here as you read First Timothy chapter six is to first of all. Not be driven by greed. Not be driven by what can I get. Not be driven by that next thing that I want. And you think, yeah, them rich people are greedy. Aren't those rich people greedy? Isn't Donald Trump greedy? Listen, we can be greedy too. Because even if you have nothing, if the only thing you can think about is what you don't have, then you're just as greedy as the rich guy who's thinking about the next billion that he hasn't made yet. So we learn from chapter 6 not to be greedy, not to be driven by greed. We learn from chapter 6 to be content in the Lord. And we learn from chapter 6 to give to the Lord's work. Now I could write a sermon telling you don't be greedy, be content with Jesus, give to the Lord's work. But we don't want to ignore the gospel fabric of what drives the teaching of chapter 6. In verse 6, Paul writes, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Basically being godly, And being content with what God has provided for you is great gain. In other words, if you trust God, you know the Lord is your Savior, and you see what God has provided you with, and you're happy with that, you're content with that, you're satisfied with that, then you are the richest person you know. I'm not going to call any names. There's a man in this congregation that's constantly telling me he's one of the richest people in Texas. And he starts listing his blessings and he's right. The idea of being content with the Lord and the grace that he has given you is a biblical concept that Paul mentions again and again. He says godliness with great god, godliness with contentment is great gain. He also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The apostle Paul had asked the Lord to remove the thorn from his flesh. And the Lord told the apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Jesus told Paul, when I saved you on the road to Damascus, and turned you from an enemy to a friend, from a combatant to an apostle, when I transformed you, that's all I needed to do for you. And the apostle Paul said, and I agree. And the apostle Paul saw how his weakness was actually his strength. He was content with what the Lord had done with him through his grace. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, Paul says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be rich. His daddy sent him to the University of Tarsus. After he went to the University of Tarsus, his daddy sent him to study in the school of Gamaliel. Gamaliel, I think, only had 15 students at one time. You had to be of the upper crust to get into the school of Gamaliel. I mean, think about Harvard. If you can get into Harvard, you've done something. Your your parents have pulled a string. You have accomplished a great academic feat. There is an honor. I know about the theology and the worldview and the liberalism. Don't get me wrong. I'm not endorsing that. But if you can tell somebody you went to Harvard... They'll be impressed. That's a prestigious school to get into. Columbia, Brown, Princeton, the Ivy League. You see what I'm saying? But to get into the school of Gamaliel was a lot more exclusive than getting into Harvard. And Paul went. He he grew up in a privileged life. He knew privilege. He knew he was very active with the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He understood wealth. He understood what it was like to have a bunch. But he also said he knew how to be abased. He said, everywhere and in all things, I know that whatsoever state I'm in, whether I'm having a good financial month or whether I'm having a bad financial month, I have learned to be content. He could live with plenty. He could live in want. But because he was satisfied in the Lord and he was content with the Lord, he could live no matter which station of life he was in. See, the gospel does that to you. Once you learn the grace that God had on you and the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for you, everything else becomes gravy. Once you learn that you have been set free and that you are on your way to God's eternal kingdom, everything else is gravy. This life becomes an experience. This life becomes an adventure. This life becomes just the ongoing learning and being transformed by the Lord. And you begin to comprehend the transformative power of the gospel. You see how God is changing you from the inside out. And you begin to embrace the good. You begin to embrace the bad as we looked at in Romans chapter 5 this morning. How that we glory in tribulations also. Seeing how tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. You begin to embrace the transformative power of the tough times. You learn to embrace the good. You learn to embrace the bad because... It's all good. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Everything God is bringing into your life is for your good, for your spiritual development, for your spiritual transformation, so that he can welcome you into his kingdom unspotted, strong, ready to fellowship with him for eternity. And so his grace is sufficient for us, and we find contentment in him. So as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's look at this. When it comes to finances, let's find godly contentment. Let's look forward to the coming of his kingdom. That's what it's all about anyway. Whether I'm rich here, whether I'm poor here, what I'm looking forward to is the day that Jesus shows up. And I don't have to worry about if I'm rich or poor anymore. I don't have to worry about the mortgage payment anymore because I'm in his kingdom and I am free for eternity. So let's look forward to his coming. And finally, let's invest in his kingdom. Let's realize that what the Lord has blessed us with, no matter how great it is, no matter how small it is, whatever we have in our lives is God's blessing that he has given to us to be stewards of, to manage on his behalf. If I get a good job and I make a million dollars, God has not blessed me with a million dollars so I can spend my summers in Hawaii every year. He has given me a million dollars so that I can use that million dollars to make an impact for his kingdom. I am the steward of that. And if I miss, and, and God does not mind if you have, if you enjoy simple pleasures, and if you use some of that for yourself, He's not opposed to giving you good things. But if all you do is figure out how to live it up, and how can I get the next pleasure from this? Now you're living in greed. You're not living with contentment. And so we'll talk about that. So let's find godly contentment. We look in verses one and two. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of god and his doctrine be not blasphemed and they that have believing masters let them not despise them because they are brethren but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort verse one teaches us to honor our masters or in our culture this would be our employers this is the boss man this is the supervisor this is the company owner the simple reason is as he said that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Remember, you are always representing God. And when you are on the job, you are representing God to the customers and to the boss. And if you don't do your job, if you're rebellious against the boss man, against the general manager, against your supervisor, then you're dishonoring God to your manager, to your boss, to your supervisor. You are blaspheming his name. When you dishonor your employer, you misrepresent God to him. I remember being on a job site one time with a particular employer that I worked for, and he was complaining about one particular employee, how this particular employee te- seemed to be lazy. And he goes, you know, he goes, I should have known. This particular employer, I'm not going to call his name, but this particular employer is a preacher. I said, what do you mean? This is before I was a preacher. And my, my boss said, Every time I hire a preacher, he's lazy. That is a sad testimony that he has gone through enough preachers that he's hired that he came to the conclusion that to hire a preacher is to hire a lazy employee. Now, we have a room full of preachers here who have been bivocational, and y'all probably take exception to that because you probably gave your, all your 100% to your employer and, and as, as well as you should have, but there are a lot that don't. When we don't do service to our employers, we are dishonoring God. And we are creating this mental image in their minds that Christians don't like to do the right thing. And that dishonors God. Verse 2 teaches us to work for our Christian employers because they are our brethren. So if you're working for a Christian, you actually should step it up for him. Not say, oh, well, you know, he, he, he understands. No, no, stamp it up for him. You're working for somebody who is your brother or sister in Christ. Then you are no longer working out of obligation because they are writing you a check. You are now working out of love to help your brother and sister in Christ. When you take a job with your brother or your sister in Christ, and you don't do the job then you're not you're doing two things first of all you are also dishonoring god but second of all you are betraying your brother or sister in christ if brother wayman has got a big job he's going to build a porch he's he's been called upon to build a porch on the side of this elegant victorian style house and he needs some help and I need some money. So I say, Brother Wayman, I, I, can I go to work for you? And Brother Wayman says, I saw how you hung sheetrock in the church building. I don't know. But let's suppose that Brother Wayman decided he's going to give me a chance anyway. I owe it to Brother Wayman to show up to the job site on time and to work for him, not out of obligation because he's paying me by the hour. But to work for him as I would my own brother, sister, mother, or father. I want to do good for them. I want to help them. I want to bless them. I want to bless Brother Wayman. Therefore, i want to work hard if he hires me. I'm not angling for a job. We both know how good I'm not at that sort of thing. But I'm giving an example. This is what the Bible's teaching us. This is what we should do. But some teach differently. If any man, in verse 3, teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. When you come across a teacher who teaches you to stick it to the man, who teaches you that wealth is inherently evil so that we are obligated to be at war with the wealthy, when you have somebody that tells you that it is okay for you to dishonor your boss in the name of the Lord, you're dealing with a man who's proud. You're dealing with a man who does not like authority. You are dealing with somebody who doesn't understand the scriptures. Those who and by the way, this doesn't even this doesn't just talk about your work ethic in verses one and two. This is also going back to how you treat the widows. When somebody says, you know, you don't have to worry about poor people, they are teaching against Paul's treat Paul's teaching. The basis for rebellion against this teaching is pride, and pride leads to conflict. Pride looks at one's gain, pride looks at one's accomplishment, and sees it as godliness. And we are told. To withdraw from those people. I want to focus in on one part of verse 5. It says supposing that gain is godliness. There are people that look at their personal finances and their personal finances are good and they got a good job and their business is doing well and they've got it going on. They've got a nice house. It's doing well. They they were able to buy a second home. They're able to acquire this and to purchase that and they and they look at that and they think that that is evidence that God's blessing is upon them. They look at that as evidence that God likes who they are and what they stand for. And the, the problem that comes out of that mindset is that that same person will look at somebody who's in poverty and say, God must be angry with them. God must not like them. They must have done something to dishonor God. They are being punished with God, by God. And the problem with that thinking is it justifies in their minds their mistreatment of them. Now you see this when Jesus was in Jerusalem. You see this in how the Pharisees dealt with poor people. The Pharisees believed that God's blessing was upon them, that their wealth, that their achievement, that their blessings were a result of them having directly pleased God. And they look at the publicans and they look at the sinners and they look at the poor people and well that's because God's not pleased with them. There's something wrong in their life. Do you remember the question when Jesus healed the blind man? The question was, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he should be born blind. And Jesus said neither. But that the glory of God could be revealed to you. He was born blind so that I could heal him today and show you who I am. That's what Jesus told them in the New Leland translation of the Bible. But that was their mentality. This man was born blind. Either his parents sinned or he sinned. Well, how can you sin before you, Well, God knew he would sin someday, so he went ahead and punished him preemptively. And you see this in various forms of contemporary or modern Christianity where it becomes about the financial blessing and I'm financially blessed, therefore I am good, therefore I am godly, I have financial blessing, I am well off, therefore God's favor is upon me. And that lady running the register at McDonald's, she doesn't have a car, she has to walk to work and she's working a minimum wage job and she's got problems in her life. God's blessing is not upon her. Must be something wrong with her. Must be some sin in her life. God is punishing her. And what happens oftentimes in modern Christianity is the person who is blessed, who thinks that they're blessed because God is happy with them, will mistreat the lady working at McDonald's because God's blessing is not on her. She must have done something wrong. Rockefeller, he believed that his blessing was because God's favor was upon him. And if his business empire ran over you, God's blessing was not on you was not on you. Therefore he was justified in running over you. That was his mindset. What Paul tells us is to turn away from that, to stay away from that, to to shun that. We don't accept that. You see, when it comes to financial blessing, when it comes to being rich, we can get caught up in just looking at the financial end of things, and that can harden our heart and make us lose sight of the gospel. Verses 9 and 10. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. The love of money... Is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrow. Pride, covetousness, and greed are the root cause of evil. It's the source of sorrow. When you look at something you don't have, you think, I ought to have that. I want that. I want to be able to do that. I want to be the one in the big chair up at the front of the stage. When that is your focus, you are no longer thinking about the gospel. You are no longer thinking about God's love and how you can honor him. You're thinking about yourself. And when you are thinking about that next thing that you want, that next level, that next item, that next status, that next accomplishment, you will never be satisfied. You will never be content. You will never be at peace. Once you capture it, once you accomplish it, once you make it, once you earn it, your eyes are going to be on something else. A rich man was once asked, how much money is enough? He said, just a little more, just a little more. One of the rumors of Alexander the Great, we don't know a lot about his death, but we do know it happened suddenly in his younger thirties. One of the rumors of Alexander the Great was on the night he died, he was in a drunken mess crying over the fact that there were no more countries to conquer. If you are worried about what you have and what you don't have, you will never be content. You will never be happy. You will never be at peace. But the Apostle Paul says in verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world... And it is certain we carry nothing out. Sounds kind of like Job. Naked was I born from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return, right? That was along the lines of what he said. We brought nothing in. We carry nothing out. Rich man died. One of the people at the funeral said, how much did he leave behind? Somebody else said all of it. All right. We brought godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Godliness, this is reverence toward God. With contentment, that's being satisfied, is great gain. If you can see God's provision and it satisfies you, you are rich. And that is the most blessed place to be. The Bible says, if you have clothes on your back, you have turned a profit with this life. Because you came in with nothing. If you are fed and clothed. Scripture says to be content. Most of the kalachis in the back are gone. And every one of you are wearing clothes. Y'all ought to all be content this morning. We've had a good day. Have we not? Online I, did a post about this and one of the things I said was uh which person would you rather be at this particular moment the multi-millionaire looking at his portfolio stressing about the right time to sell his assets or to purchase new ones or the man maybe he's a social security retiree sitting on the banks of the Mississippi River with his line in the water you know how big them catfish are in the Mississippi They're big enough that people won't dive. They won't go scuba diving in the Mississippi. That's how big those catfish are. You take those. You can get you one of those, filet it, roll it around in some cornmeal, deep fry it, feed the family with some tartar sauce, and you've got a good life happening there. I mean, this afternoon. How would you rather spend this afternoon? Sitting on your porch watching the sun go down? Or checking... CNBC to see where the Dow Jones industrial average average is how do you want to spend today you know that that's the thing is we can sit here and obsess about work finances what we do have what we don't have the money that we still owe the payments that are coming up the bills that are coming up are we going to be able to make those bills are we going to make it or what's going to happen or we can just know that God has fed us today he has clothed us today He has provided for us, and see the blessing in that, and just enjoy where God has us in the moment now. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Jesus said that we are not to worry about tomorrow. He said, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. We've got enough happening today to even worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Just enjoy the day for what it is today godliness with contentment is great gain you want to be the richest man in texas you want to be rich you want to be wealthy you want to have it all and not have to worry about a thing you just be content with what god's given you and praise and worship him and that's where you'll be let's find contentment in the lord secondly let's look forward to his coming in verses 11 and 12 the bible says but thou o man of god Flee these things. Flee what things? The things of wanting more, the, the things of greed, the, the things of wanting to earn more and more and more and to, and that's worrying about what they don't have and how they're going to get it. Flee these things. Flee those teachings. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Flee from pride. Flee from it. Flee from greed. Flee from the love of money. When you find yourself there, and you're going to, listen, this entire American economy is built on it. Our American way of doing business is built on it. You see advertisements. It it entices you. It makes you want something that you don't have, and that thing would be better, and I want this thing. Flee from that. The new computer is much better, the new smartphone is much better, the new Xbox is much better, it's got better graphics, it's got online connectivity. Flee from that. The new car it's got this new feature. Oh man, I really want one of those. It was some of the happiest days of my life for driving the 1983 F one fifty. You remember that truck? The tape player sometimes ate the tapes. But it had a good radio. The upholstery was tearing in the front seat to the point that I could actually use the front seat as another storage compartment because there were holes in the in the, in the fabric. Paint was coming undone. It got all of four miles to the gallon. The differential on the rear end had a leak, so there was constantly that differential fluid that was leaking out, and it, the suction it was always splattered on the tailgate. But some of my happiest memories... We're driving that old pickup truck down dirt roads in east texas those are some laid-back days weren't they jess i look at all the stuff the cars have now and i'm thinking that's great dvd players and cameras that i can that when i put it in the reverse i can see where i'm backing up they want you to want those things they want you to desire those things they want you to want that more than anything else I mean, I saw the brand-new Chevy pickup truck that they came out with. This thing has got features unreal. The, the, um, the sideboards, the running boards, they, they, they come out when you open the door. And then they go back in after you shut the door. So they're not in the way. And it's got all these different features and all these bells and whistles. That thing is like $63,000. Know you, you know what you use a pickup truck for? Work. You haul stuff. Is it in the farmer's best interest to buy a $63,000 pickup truck? I don't think so. But they put one out there with all these features, and I'm telling you, there's going to be enough people that are going to want that thing, that are going to pay that price for it, and they're going to wind up with the debt payments. The Bible tells us to flee that, to not get caught up in the, ooh, I want that, to not get caught up in that. The Bible says that's lust of the eyes. Flee from doctrines that teach financial gain equals godliness. When you are listening to that Bible teacher and he says that if you truly believe in the Lord, he will bless you financially, flee from that guy, turn that show off, put that book down, flee from it and follow after godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, revere the Lord, trust the Lord, love one another, endure all things, allow God to work through those things to transform you. And fight the good fight of faith. Contend for the faith. Promote the gospel. Lay hold on eternal life. That's what it says in verse 12. Lay hold on eternal life. Let that be your focus. Whatever happened to heaven? Where'd it go? How much preaching do you hear on heaven? Turn on the radio. Uh, yeah, I know. Guilty. Um, t- turn on the radio. Listen to what's going out as Bible teaching today. Watch TVN. Watch Daystar. Watch these guys preach. How many of them are preaching on eternal life? How many of them are preaching on heaven? I don't know for sure. I'm just asking. We need to be looking forward to that. Verses 14 through 16, If thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Follow those instructions. Flee from pride. Flee from the doctrines that teach pride. Hold on to eternal life. Lay hold on it. Have faith. Trust. Trust. And then be looking forward to that day that the Lord Jesus Christ appears. Scripture teaches that your faith can be measured by whether or not you look forward to the Lord's appearing. Are you looking forward to the day Jesus shows up? If that happened today, would you be happy? The Bible says your answer to that can measure your faith. If you're not ready for the Lord to come back today, we've got a problem. And it's a spiritual problem. And don't tell me you just want to wait and see if your kids grow up. You know, the Lord coming back today is the best thing that could happen to your kids. If you look at where society's going today, if you look at what's being normalized, if you're looking at the attitudes that the world has toward your children and the trials and tribulations they face going down the road, best thing that could happen for them is for the Lord to come back today. You think anybody's going to be crying in heaven because they never had the opportunity to graduate law school on earth? I don't think so. Best thing that could happen to your children today that the Lord could come back. The best thing that could happen to anything that you are worried about in this world today is that the Lord come back, except if you don't know the Lord as your Savior. If you are hesitant to welcome the return of the Lord, you have a spiritual problem. This is not me talking. This is the scripture talking. The Apostle Paul said in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said that I have finished the course, I have run the race and the lord has laid up for me a crown of righteousness which he shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all those who love his appearing your faith is measured by how much you anticipate the return of the lord so look forward to his coming and finally we don't have much time left neither in this service or on this earth we don't have much time left bible tells us to redeem the time if you look at the end of this chapter Paul's talking about charging them that are rich, those who have financial ability, those who have ways and means, and to charge them to use those for God's honor and glory. In modern times, we say, let's invest in God's kingdom. Verse 17 says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy." Those who are rich, charge them who are rich if they be not high-minded. If you are rich, if you've got things going for you, don't be high-minded. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you are somehow inherently better than the others just because you're in a better station of life. Did you earn it? You probably worked very hard for it. You probably made some really good decisions. God's blessing probably stepped in there, but don't be guilty of thinking that because here I am, I'm better than the lady doing the register at McDonald's. That poor lady barely has a job. They got a computer doing that now. Don't think, don't be high-minded. By the way, charge them that are rich in this world. Charge them that are rich in this world. I need to send a copy of this sermon to Donald Trump, don't I? You know what? Um, y'all y'all want to see a rich person? You want to see somebody who's rich? Look next to you. Look next to you. You're looking at a rich person. You say, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. Those who are rich in this world, that's all of us. What did God promise us? He promises food. He promises clothing. Y'all got food? If if you don't, let me know. All right. You got food? Y'all got clothes. There's visual evidence of that. All right. So you've all got food and clothes. You got the bare minimum that God has promised you. How many of y'all... Who slept under a bridge last night? Anybody... Did you raise your hand? Anybody sleep in a place that did not have four walls last night? Did the heat work? How many of y'all got 40 bucks either in the bank or on you now? I'm not going to ask for it. (laughs) I'm not going to pass the plate. all right? There are some people like... Hey, you got 40 bucks, raise your hand, you raise your hand, pass the plates. No, I'm not going to do that to you. That'd just be wrong, wouldn't it? But how many of you got 40 bucks to your name? Yeah. Actually, I have 40 bucks to your name. But Oh. You realize you got 40, okay. You guys realize you're in the top 10% in the world? You got food and, and a steady supply of food, by the way. You got clothes, you got shelter, you got heat, you got electricity, you got money in the bank or in your pocket, one or the other, or maybe both. You're rich. So why don't you feel rich? Because you look at Donald Trump and you see what he got. Yeah, I'd like to have a plane with gold letters on the side. Um, that's why you don't feel rich. You're looking at what somebody else has got more than you has. So Timothy's told to charge those who are rich. That's all of us. What are we being charged to? To be not high-minded, not to trust in uncertain riches. Don't worry about the 401k. Don't worry about the investment account, whether Social Security is going to go broke. That's all uncertain anyway. Rex came into the studio one day, and he was really worried about one of his friends. His friend down in San Antonio he worked with at Clear Channel was down to his last million. He's down to his last million dollars, and he's worried about it dude's 80 years old with a million dollars in the bank he's down to his last million however will he make it and mark and i who probably both combined had less than a thousand in the bank just looking at each other like (laughs) (laughs) yeah y'all y'all be praying for him he's down to his last million what's he doing he's trusting in uncertain riches we're not to do that you see how you see how ridiculous that looks you know, tell to, 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 we're laughing at this man that's down to his last million dollars and we're laughing at him we're worried about our last 20 alright and the guy in the third world company, country is laughing at us because if he had 20 dollars woo you know what I'm saying so don't be trusting in uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy God wants you to be happy And I know that was a Joel Osteen-esque statement to make. But he wants you to be happy where you are. He wants you to find contentment in what he's already given you. Verses 18 and 19 say, They that do good, they that be rich in good works, ready to distribute. Y'all know what that means? That means they're giving it away. Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That's a King James word for ministering to, for meeting needs. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Timothy is told to to charge the rich, to challenge, to encourage, to instruct the rich, to do good, to be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. This means that the rich are to be active in good works. And the distribution and communication has to do with financially giving to the ministry. And it makes a huge impact for the kingdom we have missionaries all around the world and they, they are trying to spread the gospel for the Lord and it does take money and it does take a lot of money and if we are worried about being down to our last million and therefore we don't want to give any away they're going to have a harder time spreading the gospel but if we meet their needs guess what They'll be able to meet, they'll be able to preach the gospel. They'll be able to not only preach it, but to be able to minister it more effectively. Lives will be saved, souls will be saved, people will come to know the Lord is their personal Savior. Which one of those do you think makes God happy? And so we are told in 1 Timothy chapter 6 to not be greedy, to not be worried about the finances of today, to not be worried about how we're going to feed ourselves tomorrow, but rather to find contentment in what God has given us and then to use what he has given us to further his kingdom. And then we wrap it all up in verses 20 through 21 by going back to the original statements that the Apostle Paul made in this book. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen.